0: Welcome to the Novel Romantics Literature of Chicago podcast series at the America Centrum Hamburg. I'm the host of Novel Romantics, Douglas Cowie. I'm a writer and teacher. Today we're going to be discussing Richard Wright's 1940 novel, Native Son, and my guest today is Ryan Gaddis. Gaddis, who you can find at ryangaddis.com, that's R-Y-A-N-G-A-T-T-I-S.com, is the author of Safe Kung Fu High School, The System, and All Involved, the last of which won the American Library Association's Alex Award and the Lira Award for Noir of the Year in France. He lives and writes in South Los Angeles, where he's a member of the art collective Uglar Works, a founding board member of arts nonprofit Heritage Future, and a Penn America prison writing mentor. Ryan, Welcome! Hi Doug, thanks for having me. Excited. Thank you for coming along, and thank you for reading *Native Son* by Richard Wright um, to talk to me about it. Um, again, we're going to be talking about Richard Wright's *Native Son*. It was originally published in 1940, which uh, I guess is a kind of I I think is an interesting moment in American history, and certainly in the history of cities like Chicago and in Chicago in particular, because this is post-depression, just on the edge of the Second World War, as far as America is concerned. And it's also kind of smack in the middle of the Great Migration, um, which starts on the cusp of the First World War and lasts into the nineteen about well, about nineteen seventy is Usually, when people make the cutoff, so there's this wave of of African American immigration from the south of the of the country into northern cities, in particular, um, where they start working in factories and populating urban centers like Chicago, Philadelphia, New York, Detroit, etc. And I guess on that note, where I thought we would start is turning right to the last pages of the novel. We'll get in later to what the novel's about and so on and so forth. But um, there's a moment uh, in the trial of, of Bigger Thomas that happens, to takes up a big chunk of the novel, in which Buckley, the man prosecuting him, says The more horrible the crime, the more stunned, shocked, and dismayed is the tranquil city in which it happens, the more helpless are the citizens before it. <laughs> I have my margin of of my copy. I've, I've just drawn an exclamation point with tranquil city circled because there's no small amount of irony in that statement. I suppose the portrait of Chicago that we get in this novel is not necessarily one of a tranquil city um, no. or one that anyone can reasonably conclude is tranquil. No, not at all. I think in some ways we
1: are given a snapshot of a city from the very early pages that is – bifurcated that is segregated that you know uh, groups of people have two very different experiences in you've got an ownership society primarily white and you have the the black society uh, existing on the margins which is uh, something that bigger says a number of times his mother says it's an existence with limited opportunities and a system that is built to keep that status quo
0: yeah i wonder if if maybe thinking about the, the specifics of, of that system as you, you've given us a really nice outline there. Um, and it's interesting to think of that description as something that isn't tranquil. That's a portrait of an, of an intranquil city, I guess is the argument that I'm yeah, inherent proposing tension. and right. And, and, yeah. And drilling into the specifics of that is, is interesting in this novel. Cause I think one of the real strengths of this novel of which I think there are a million strengths. I really like this novel a lot. Um, and we'll talk about some of the ins and outs of that later, but one of the, one of the interesting things is that Richard Wright has has constructed a set of characters who embody that that divide. So the guy, Mister Dalton, who offers mm. he's a he's a rich white landowner, company owner owns a lot of land, uh, both both uh, slum a lot lord. of land and a company, yeah. yeah. And he owns the slum in which Bigger lives, and he also is offering employment to Bigger as a means of demonstrating his altruism and he donates ping pong tables to the rec center as a means of demonstrating his altruism but yeah. in the meantime he's profiting from their poverty and keeping them impoverished and and so he's he's a literal embodiment of of that segregation he's a literal embodiment of the division outside of the the specific segregation of of the economic division which intersects with the with the racial segregation, and he and he's there's a lot of imagery of blindness in this novel, um, mm. and he's he's kind of morally ethically blind to the the problems that he's creating and perpetuating. Yeah, absolutely, and I think one of the fascinating things about it, and
1: I, in in a way. And and you can tell me if this is a really unfair thing to say. I would say, in a way, he's also an embodiment of trickle down economics. You know, he has all of these things. He, he his gains come from a collective impoverishment. Uh, in a way, I, I hope that I'm using the, the the word correctly in this sense because he's he's not upgrading his buildings. He's not providing great places for people to live. He's not, and he's only providing opportunities for what three or four people, and ping pong tables and you know so so what what gets down that he thinks will make some sort of difference is 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 literally you know a a drop in the bucket compared to the way that he is perpetuating this this lack of good sustainable helpful housing and jobs
0: yeah and it's one of the things that i guess is interesting is that he's he's not presented as a malevolent guy in the no, novel. Not but at all. But his presence if is anything, a malevolent presence. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I mean if anything, he he's as like a, a good hearted person who's just trying to help others, but the problem is he has the means to help many, but he's only helping a few. And that and that's ultimately, I think, part of the larger problem.
0: And he doesn't understand. Which, because one Mm. of the things I think is really interesting about this novel is somehow we've managed to go right to one of the minor characters. But um, (laughs) is that it's a novel about people not understanding. It's also it's a it's a novel about people who 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 end up being representatives, whether they want to or not, of their race and their economic situation. And it's also Mm. about people who don't understand the implications of the position. That they occupy with respect to their economics and race. So I, I, the argument I would make is that none of the characters understand that Mary Dalton, who gets murdered by bigger right, right near the beginning of the novel, to call that a spoiler would be to um, I think it was, it happens so early in the novel you can't really spoil. Call that a spoiler. It's the hinge, the deciding right, action pages, of the novel.
1: Right?
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, Um She doesn't understand her own position in relation to her her privilege and. And race and poverty, even though she thinks she does and she's trying to. Bigger yeah. certainly doesn't understand it. He comes to understand it over the course of the novel to some degree. Mr. Dalton, Mrs. Dalton don't ever understand it. And so on and so forth. And those dynamics, the the tragedy, one of the tragedies of the novel, I guess, is the the lack of understanding and the dynamics of those lack of of empathy that that people have towards others, but also understanding that they have of of themselves. Well, that's a really great point, Doug. And
1: I think it's especially important because the reason why people, or the characters in this case, lack this understanding is because they live apart from one another. They don't have Mm -hmm. these opportunities uh, for human connection. And to have a genuinely real sense of, of what it's like Living in this particular area or neighborhood, what what the difficulties are, what the interesting parts are, and I think Mary is, you know, is definitely a character who is interested in traversing that divide. She pays for mm-hmm. it ultimately, mainly because of s- societal expectations, worries, fears. I mean, bigger in particular thinks, well, you know, wh- when he's caught in a bad situation, it doesn't matter now because I'm, I'm guilty. You know, society will view me mm-hmm. as 100 percent guilty, so I needed to do anything I can possibly do to try to get out of the situation. but i I believe I, I just looked for the quote very quickly, Forgive me, I couldn't quite find it, but I'm absolutely certain that Bigger has this this realization when he's spending time with Mary that she's treating him like a human being, and he actually finds that quite confusing because he's not been dealing yeah. with that before.
0: It's and that's an so there's an incredible well what what I think is a really incredible long scene or set of scenes. Uh, maybe we should set a little bit of a, a bit of scene for people here. So bigger, the the novel opens with him chasing a rat around his tiny flat that he lives in with his brother and his mom. He gets he has got this job opportunity where he's going to be a chauffeur for Mister Dalton, who again is the guy who owns the slum in which bigger is chasing rats around the kitchen slash bedroom mm. slash living room yeah and then on his so he goes to this interview which is awkward in and of itself in this rich man's house in the white neighborhood and then he gets hired as the driver and the basically the first thing he has to do is drive the daughter and her friend around town and and that becomes a series of scenes and moments that that basically do a few different things. It's hard to talk about, I find in this novel, talk about any one scene and say, oh, this scene does this because almost every scene mm. is doing a couple of Multiple different things depending on, yeah, which perspective you want to look at it from. And and so it it serves to show his, you know, the alienation that these two characters have from one another. It shows his confusion over his place with respect to her because she is this liberal-minded rebellious, I guess, communist um, or communist sympathizing young woman who's trying to push boundaries and trying to, she's, she's earnest, but, but stupid in a way um, about how she goes about. Dealing yeah, I mean, with she bigger... doesn't
1: realize how awful she makes bigger feel. I think she's trying to make yeah. him feel included. She's trying to treat him like an equal, which he's really struggling with because, I, and that's the thing. It's not just person to person here. He's in a professional capacity. <laughs> he's exactly. He's trying to do a job. He feels that it's crossing boundaries in that way. It's obviously crossing uh, racial boundaries, segregated boundaries in Chicago at that time to to a degree, right? I mean, it wasn't segregated like the South was segregated, but it, it's fairly clear that as far as real estate is concerned, it was indeed very segregated. So yeah, that I mean, all that's very difficult. The only thing that I would add, because uh, I think you, you had a pretty great summary there, is that bigger is torn between – Continuing a life of of petty crime, or taking this job, mm-hmm. like actually taking the opportunity potentially yeah. bettering himself. I mean, he's been running around with his gang a little bit. There's some some really interesting snapshots, I think, into gang mentality and what it takes uh, psychologically, you know, to to pull jobs like that. I was pretty impressed with a, with a few of the the snapshots of that. But ultimately, yeah, I mean, he decides to take the better offer and ends up in just a series of pressurized events. It's like, I don't know how else to say it. Escalatingly pressurized events that really lead to yeah. Mary's death.
0: Let's circle back to the um, the gang culture that he starts off in, because that's also, I mean, that's where some of your expertise uh, as a writer and thinker comes in anyway. And, and it's, I suspect... Uh, in, in a lot of discussions of this novel, a thing that's focused on a little bit less because it seems almost like a prologue to the rest of the novel, right? We see him with his buddies doing things and it serves as a way of characterizing him and his situation. And then, because he's, yeah. he's, once he murders her, he accidentally smothers Mary when she's drunk and he's trying to bring her home and do right by her. And the mother's in the room and he's terrified of yeah. her finding out that he's there with her. Yeah. And once he does that, he's out of all societies yeah for various reasons which we might get to but i but i'm interested in hearing from you a bit more about what you thought about those early pages and and the way that he operates on his own terms in that in his milieu in his with his gang of guys they're gonna go and boost a um, grocery store at the Mm -hmm. beginning and the way he treats them and so on i um please say more okay wow, why thank you well it's it's definitely an escalation,
1: so they're in the midst of planning an escalated armed robbery that they've never done before, and bigger is driving this, even though he's terrified you know i I have to admit, you know, there were so many moments when i when I was reading that, and I just thought. Wow. You know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. I mean, obviously, my expertise Mm -hmm. is like late 80s, early 90s gang members in in Los Angeles. But I can honestly tell you there are few to no differences in the way that Wright is describing the psychology of escalating violence and being Mm -hmm. more and more okay with it. And, And, you know, it starts with the rat. You know, killing the rat, he does it relatively mm. easily. He feels no remorse. Everyone else in the apartment is is freaking out. He's got no problem with it. Uh, and then we start learning more about why he might have no problem with it. It's because of some of the things he's been doing on the street with the guys. Uh, we also see his leadership mentality. So, so for me, it's page twenty eight uh, in book one, Fear, where bigger is is talking to Jack and 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 just letting him know, you know, what needs to be done in order to execute a job. To make him ready for a job, you have to make him scared two ways. You have to make him more scared of what will happen to him if he don't do the job than of what will happen to him if he pulls the job. So again, I mean, it's 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 small and it's simple, but to be perfectly honest, this level of understanding that Wright shows is is absolutely dead on because this idea of being able to inspire fear and to make the fear of not doing something greater than doing something is ultimately the push point. You know, to to create mm-hmm. greater violence. Obviously that doesn't end up working out, but I think it's safe to say that because of this priming, so to speak, this this operating outside of the normal world, which which Bigger has already psychologically opted out of. I mean, it's not there for him. It's not built for him. It's there to exclude him, to put him down, and to throw him in jail. I mean, at, at one point he even describes the part of Chicago he's living in as a jail. You know, they're over there. Yeah. We're over here. And I feel like I think he says, like I think I'm I feel like I'm looking through a knothole in the fence. He feels completely excluded. And what's more, there's a large barrier that will keep him from going there. But of course, I think the beauty of the book and, and the conflict that will drive it forward is the author removes that obstacle and pushes him toward that world and he has no choice but to interact with it, unfortunately, to to quite yeah. a deadly event.
0: Well and it also it also comes back that the same idea comes back in a new way towards the end of the novel when the when the trial is happening because his his defense attorney, when he's pleading for him to not be executed, says, if you put this guy in prison, you're gonna you're gonna give him a freedom he's never had before because he's gonna be even though he'll be a number, he'll have an identity that is mm-hmm. just his. And he'll be treated as an equal by the other inmates in prison. And it goes on and on about it. And there's two ways of looking at that. One is like it's some weird utopian view of what prison is like. And the other is that it's a really weird – it's like a really crazy dramatic irony – or not dramatic irony, a a really crazy irony and really quite cynical irony that that this guy who has started in a place that he considers a prison in which Mm -hmm. he is not an individual. He's only on a certain level an individual. Mm -hmm. Can only become – by being – imprisoned becomes some kind of autonomous being or only by killing in the middle of the novel or beginning of the middle of the novel is, does he become autonomous in some way? And the end point of that is that it's to function so, societally or socially prison offers him that, that identity or, or a confirmation of that identity. And it's not meant to be like the, the lawyer isn't saying this is great for him, but he's, he's pointing no. out, you know, he's pointing out the, the ironies of, of what's happening. And so the, the metaphorical prison at the beginning becomes a real, the idea of real prison at the end. Yeah. I found that moment that you've
1: pointed out so beautifully, really, really challenging as a reader. Mm -hmm. You know, I guess I'm lucky enough to have done (laughs) years of research on prisons in America and it's not good. So uh, no. you know what you mentioned initially was exactly my exp- my uh, reaction of like what the h are you talking about man yeah. no but but the beauty of the book and especially that moment is that as, as as true literature does it challenged me and it made me think more about well wait a second like is this true like what what are the ways in which bigger might actually be more free in a confined space and i think if anything the conclusion i came to you know rightly or wrongly is that he would finally have the opportunity to learn self-awareness in such a space yeah. that he so clearly could not learn outside mainly because of desperation because of certain desires and and driving forward towards other things uh, so uh, yeah and and it's it's interesting as well because then it kind of it finally circled back you know with my own experience of definitely uh, speaking with formerly incarcerated people and former gang members of realizing that in almost every case, you know, the, the folks who, who, when they get out are managed to turn their lives around and, and really have that second shot, it almost always comes back to reading like the ones mm. who, who genuinely read and educate themselves and actually have the space to do so and, and really engage and really think about something because they want to is, is really affirmative and, and, and life-changing, which is look, uh, b- bigger would be getting life without, essentially. Uh, so with life, with mm-hmm. life without possibility parole, if indeed you know they they decide not to execute him. But it, it was so, I, yeah, it was just great. I mean, I felt I felt challenged in the best possible way of because. <laughs> You know, initially, wait, that's not true. What? You know, you don't know what you're talking about. And then kind of working my way through it and being like, <laughs> Shut wow, up, okay. Shut up, Richard
0: Wright. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> Speaking to me so beautifully from 1940s America. Like, yeah, man. Like, yeah. I, What I need to do is is listen and, and read with with a, a broader mind and, and, and try to reach a conclusion
0: that, that feels like it fits. Yeah it's a super it's a super interesting paragraph it's it's 404 in my edition by the way um, I think our pages line up they they did at least on page 28 um they might have gone out of whack by now but um it's an interesting paragraph cuz it cuz it, it it step by step walks you through its its own logic which again i think is a really it's a truthful and quite cynical irony but mm. it but it has a, a certain it, it, it asks you to look in the mirror or look At the situation in a particular way, and it it holds your it holds your head in place while it's asking you to look so you can't look away. And the the last sentence of that, that paragraph is steel bars between him and the society he offended would provide a refuge from hate and fear. I want to come back to hate and fear in a minute. But then he goes on and he says two really interesting things. You cannot kill this man, your honor, for we have made it plain. We do not recognize that he lives. So this is a, mm. a, a white defense attorney recognizing this. Again, it's like this is bigger as as inseparable from his race in people's eyes. Um, it's one piece of that segregation puzzle that we were that we started out talking about a little bit. He say we're not even we're not even looking at him and calling him a human being. Um, So we can't kill him because we're not killing him. We're just killing this thing that we fear. and, And Bigger contemplates that earlier in the novel. So I say give him life. This will not solve the problem which his crime exemplifies. That remains perhaps for the future. But if we say we must kill him, then let us have the courage and honesty to say, let us kill them all. They are not human. There's no room for them then let us do it. One thing that's interesting, I mean, that's a caustic statement. Yeah. And one of the things that's interesting, I think, in this novel is when people, how people use pronouns. There's there's an earlier scene, the scene we were talking about, where Mary and her friend Jan have bigger drive them into, they want to slum it in a in a chicken joint in the south of Chicago. And so he has to take them to the restaurant where he goes with his friends and his girlfriend comes over and makes fun of him because he's sitting there with these white people and so on and so forth. And she, and she in the in Bigger's presence, starts talking about them and those people. And, and the them and those people, he's one of them sitting in the same car as her and she's not understanding that. She, the, earlier in the scene, she does talk to him and tries to take him – Seriously as an individual, but then she extrapolates it and, and, and forgets that he's even really there as she talks about those people and what they do and what they're like and so on and so forth. And here is a different side of that same thing. So instead of saying you, it's, it's pushed into them. And here, the, the, this is like the logical endpoint of that, that the lawyer is spreading out here. You're basically not recognizing these people as human the moment you say, we have to kill him. Mm. As an example, or whatever
1: you mentioned, you mentioned previously that the defense attorney is white. I would just add that he's also Jewish. I mean, and he, I believe he's a communist mm. sympathizer oh, yeah, as yeah. well, and that's why he's being uh, why why he's yeah. part of this. And I just I, I was really blown away by that line about "let us kill them all," about, especially you know. And then I looked at once again when this book was published, you know, yeah. given me. Given the background of the defense attorney, I was like, "Wow, man! Wow, it's mm-hmm. almost as if he foresaw, you know, what what a what a more honest, if far more horrible mm-hmm. society would do. You know, they would take it to a natural, quote unquote, honest solution: courage and honesty." Mm-hmm. I, you know, you you're right. Our page numbers do match up, and I'm really happy to hear that because I went back to the first paragraph on 404 that you that you were quoting from. Yeah, <laughs> my note in the margin to the left of that paragraph is this is a very imperfect understanding of prison. (laughs) So that was when I was first having that issue of, wait, what, like, what are you talking about? Obviously, you know, thankfully I was able to, to, to work
0: through that, but you know, it's one of those. So I'm going to take a little detour again here because it's one of the things, one of the, I guess criticisms leveled at this novel often is that I was going to say by them, the one of the things that they say <laughs> I'm doing the <laughs> pronoun is, is that, it, Oh, you know, it's kind of clunky. It just, the, the end of it becomes these speeches and it's just, it's just kind of almost like, Wright is propagandizing on behalf of of his mm. political beliefs and so on and so because he's a communist at this time and everything and oh okay interesting and i, I didn't remember know that. so I've, I've read this I've read this novel a few times and I, and I've taught it a few times and i I remember the first time I read it being quite anxious about because I'd read other Richard Wright and really liked it, and I remember mm. being quite anxious about getting to the point where I was going to be like oh, this novel isn't style you know it's kind of a mess, and it's just this didactic thing, and I never I mean, I see that criticism. I think there's something to it. But I also never really got that bothered by it, even when it gets hmm. kind of long-winded and repetitive at times. Because I think the the construct of the – it's a court drama. It becomes a courtroom drama. And, like, we watch these things on – on tv and films all the time and partly what a courtroom drama allows you to do is create a dramatic situation in which people can give speeches like this because that's what courtrooms are partly for right Mm -hmm. like yeah so like the um chicago seven film the aaron sorkin one that came out a few years ago it's like all these speeches (laughs) and like I mean, I re- you just people can't see this on a podcast, but I can on my screen. You just made a face at me, but I really liked that. I movie, made a face. You know? I admit it. And it's <laughs> and it's it's called it's mostly culled from like the you know it's it's reworkings of transcripts of the Chicago Seven trial and stuff. in it you know, but I, I feel like it works here partly because it it is. I can imagine a lawyer going in in grandstanding like this because hmm. it's it's creating public record and and whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And so I've never. Although I see the I see the point of that criticism and I think it's one worth thinking about, I always get a little bit miffed when people kinda dismiss Native Sun or dismiss that part of Native Sun and it's like, oh, it's this great thriller that turns into a bunch of speeches and I just don't think that's right. I think that's to misunderstand a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's What's arguably to, to- the most important part of the book because we're finally connecting why these crimes and events happen to a, a broader yeah.
0: sociological
1: construct and yeah. law enforcement system and justice system. So, look, yeah. you know, it was interesting because I, man, I hadn't read this book in twenty years. I think when you when you asked me to read it, I had a very different experience this time than I did last time. I think the first time I read it, it was very similar to what you're describing. Like, oh, I was so gripped. I was so anxious, yeah. nervous. It's so well-written line by line in terms of yeah. how it's taking us through Bigger's journey. Will he be caught? It's it's so well-written that it absolutely makes the second half feel slow, dull, mm-hmm. plodding because you've been so amped and that you hit the midpoint yeah. and you, and you have to go down a pretty slow descent depending on how quickly you read it. And I, I, I tend to read, you know, those portions, not incredibly quickly because I'm trying to take, take it on board. Yeah. And I, I, but I'm also yeah, thinking well, they're of it hard in terms to read. of,
0: they're hard to read quickly as well. Yeah, no, it, it is because so a lot of them are weighty. long speeches, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So,
1: you know, it was, however, reading it now, you know, as a novelist in my forties, I think one of the things that stood out is it felt like, our version of crime and punishment which mm-hmm. was uh, and, and as a result I think you have to have the punishment it can't be all about the crime <laughs> it really has to be an indictment of the system in order for yeah. this to make sense more broadly is it the easiest and best reading experience not necessarily I mean it depends on what you're, you're after yeah. if you think it's gonna be a thriller all the way through you're gonna be freaking disappointed because what it's a great work of literature and great works of literature challenge you. They push you yeah. to think more deeply about how this world works.
0: Yeah. What you said there is really interesting to me because one of the questions I always ask myself about novels in particular that I'm reading that aren't doing what I expected or what I thought they might or I start not liking them is like I start asking myself, well, like how much of that is my problem? Mm. And like. And Most a lot readers of the time, a lot don't do of that, that is my yeah, problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, but, and then you think, but you think, okay, that, so, so my not liking this thing stylistically, whatever, that's my problem. And now I have to get over it and see, and think, start thinking about what this novel is trying to do. And I don't have to, I don't have to get to the end of the novel and like it, but I have to get to the end of the novel and understand it. Right. Which is a different thing. And here, Well, oh, it has to be a worthwhile experience. That doesn't yeah. need
1: mean it needs to be fun.
0: Yeah exactly and here i think i just think it's really i just think it's so interesting what he does and the fact that he decides to do this long drawn out courtroom Mm -hmm. drama where everyone's talking about (laughs) bigger and bigger is sitting there sometimes reacting to it sometimes not reacting to it you know with his fate is just sitting there being decided by all the everyone but himself and and it i just think it works really well for me and and it you know, I'm not sure people would want, would write a novel this way now. You know, 1940 is kind of a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, I don't really care about that either. I, I, I think as a... As an artistic achievement, it's a really interesting one. One of the reasons I've I've already touched on this briefly was like I, I was talking about the, the pronouns and using them, and you're saying, you know, he's saying you are saying they are not human if you mm-hmm. do this, and and then I, I hear the echo of Mary Dalton saying, oh oh they're so she's she's saying in that passage, I'm, I might try and find it while I'm jibber jabbering about it, but she's basically <laughs> saying, I see them as so human, they are so much realer, yeah, and the they're so this is and they're so distancing. That. Yeah, exactly, and you and so then you hear this kind of hammer at the end when he's saying, you, you know, when you other, this is what othering really ultimately means. It's the natural and when he end point. The, yeah. yeah, exactly. In fact, my my marginal note says logical end point. So what? You, Do I comment win the has bingo? My marginalia. <laughs> yeah, you definitely win. You win, novel romantics, bingo! Yay! Um, <laughs> um, but then the other the other words are at the end of that paragraph. The sentence I read out: a refuge from hate and fear. Yeah, and hate and fear drive this novel in so many ways. Um, fear, I, I, in a seminar discussion some years ago with one of my final year seminar groups where we talked about this novel we came to the conclusion that fear isn't just like an emotion in this novel and it's not just a theme in this novel it's a force that drives the novel drives almost everything in the novel and you can especially bigger he's afraid of everything from the beginning how yeah. he man you talked about this in your his explanation of, of of how you get someone to commit the crime. It's it's partly about driving fear in them. He's mm-hmm. afraid when he shows up at the Dalton's house, he's afraid when he's driving them to the restaurant, he's afraid when he's in the car and they're getting drunk in his presence, he's afraid when he kills her, he's afraid when he's on the run. And he stops being afraid at some point. When he you know, towards the end, he's sort of letting go of that, he's learning to let go of that fear, and it's too late.
1: Hmm. Well,
0: For there are him. moments even after Mary's death where he makes some really
1: interesting psychological leaps and finds an element mm-hmm. of freedom, an element of escape. I believe yeah. escape is also one of the the, the terms yeah. that Wright uses, because it's an opportunity to be, you know he he has been, as far as he's concerned, outside of society. But now to have Mm -hmm. committed such a heinous crime, he really is outside of society. And when, you know, society catches up with him, they'll cast him out immediately. I think he's quite aware of that. But, you know, I I wanted to actually point out something very quickly. It's it's, it's a small digression,
0: and I hope you're going to allow it. I will allow it in this instance. Yes. (laughs) I love a small (laughs) digression.
1: (laughs) Thank you for weighing in.
0: Um, As long as you give me a page number.
1: Yes. Page 106. We're, we're in book two flight. So obviously fear has brought us here. Book one fear kind of catapulting us to flight post killing. But I, you know, I think maybe it's just because of where I'm at in my life and I'm doing a ridiculous amount of research on serial killers right now. Don't ask why it's a long story, (laughs) but there were some moments here and, and I'm doing, unfortunately, a lot of kind of, the hardcore psychological research and reading, you know, FBI profiling reports and things mm-hmm. of that nature. So it's, I was stunned at how well Wright characterizes the psychology in 1940 because so many of these terms, mm-hmm. like, so he imagined it so clearly mm-hmm. that it actually fits with some of this new understanding. We have, of course, on 106 that, you know, Bigger had killed many times before. His crime seemed natural. He felt that all of his life had been leading to something like this. There was in him a kind of terrified pride. Look, even the pride is is fearful and full of mm-hmm. terror uh, yeah. and feeling and thinking that someday he would be able to say publicly that he had done it. But I think what really hit me was this moment of now that the ice was broken, could he not do other things? What was there to stop him? That is Almost identical to the the kind of breaking point moment that you'll see in in, in with multiple murderers, mm-hmm. and it's described that way in in the psychological literature. So when I got to that point, I just went, "Oh my gosh!" I had to put the book down. Like, wow, that's dead on, and it was dead on in a kind of elemental human understanding way. That it was years before mm-hmm. this research was able to put terms and and understanding to it. There's
0: there's two interesting things, or well. There's more than two, but um, there's two that I want to talk about uh, on that. One of them is there. there's... So it's a, rhetor- a rhetorical question, right? Now that the ice mm. was broken, could he not do other things? What was there to stop him? Yeah. Just in terms of the novel, just in terms of this novel and, and this, the plot of this novel and the events of this novel, there's something interesting here because, first of all, he he killed... Mary by accident which is what this mm-hmm. this page that is is about really it's him saying yeah. although it was an accident he's going to take he's taking ownership of for over his action despite the fact that Absolutely. he didn't mean it so fr- from one point of view what he's really done is manslaughter or i don't know i wouldn't want to get i'm not a lawyer but um, uh, <laughs> he's killed her he's killed her accidentally yeah i I don't
1: like he it anyway, depends, on, it depends on how the DA charges yeah. it, man. I don't know that yeah, manslaughter yeah. would be on the books. But he's killed or... her
0: but but he's killed her he's killed her accidentally. He didn't go out that day intending to kill her. The circumstances he's accidentally killed her. But the answer to that rhetorical question is yes, or, or no, because there's nothing to stop him, and he does deliberately murder his own girlfriend later hmm. in the novel. And and yeah. so one of the things that's interesting, again, it's all these complicated things about whose lives matter and who are who are them and and who is the individual Mary Dalton. She's killed. It is claimed that he raped her and murdered her. He didn't rape her. Yes, but it was that non-provable because he successfully burned the body. Right. Because he burned because he burned the body, but he murdered her. So but then he goes out and deliberately murders his girlfriend while covering his tracks, Bessie. Mm. And mm. Uh, that crime, uh, no one, no one in the tranquil city cares about that crime. No, I mean, they care
1: about charging him for it and finding a way to show culpability in, in the previous crime in yeah. Mary's death. I mean, that's definitely something that's about making him really a bigger hard.
0: monster, right? Yes. Yes, exactly. It's about, yeah. It's not about, it's not about the poor victim. Because she gets othered or themed as well.
1: You know, it's interesting, and I'm so glad you jumped back to the pronoun because I just recognized something about page 106 that I had not recognized before we had this conversation, especially in regard to pronouns. Uh, And the thing that really jumped out to me and I put a star next to was the line, the thing to do was to act just like others acted, live like they lived. And while they were not looking... Mm do what you wanted and again this was kind of the stone-cold shiver moment for me of you know the hiding in plain sight kind of serial killer narrative you know the whole deal that you you hear again and again and again which is you know neighbors being interviewed on the street oh he seemed like a quiet guy like i don't know where this is coming from well because he was he was acting just like you acted like you and then when you weren't looking he was doing what he wanted Mm-hmm. so it's another clever twist on 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 pronouns basically making broader society they you know there were mm-hmm. those who, who do not kill and then there was him who did kill he was able to triumph over a triumph of will so to speak um mm-hmm. that of course once he's done it he's able to do it again and it's it's not as i mean it's for me that was probably the hardest part of the book to read is is when he kills Bessie I mean that was that was really brutal
0: oh yeah it's really brutal it's a really brutal brutal moment and so much it's it's in maybe this is true um, in thinking about just that like thriller aspect of the novel that we talked about a while ago that's to some, some to some degree the the climax of that Hmm. is that second murder and it's it's the most brutal moment far and away the most brutal moment of of the novel and it seals his fate as well yeah and it's happening in this maelstrom of all kinds of things that there's a massive police manhunt going on they're going door to door through the black neighborhoods there's um the the media in this uh, the media presence in this novel is interesting and also one of those things that i think holds up as a as a parallel to today and the mm. the way um, it's all through newspapers of course in this that there's this like media hysteria where special editions of the paper are coming out with these big headlines that get more and more outrageous about yeah. about bigger and more dehumanizing of him and of the of the community, the African-American community here as a whole in the, in the tranquil city. Mm -hmm. And, and that murder of Bessie happens in the height of all of that when he's really trapped by, by everything in the the other thing that is interesting in that passage on page one Oh six, Ryan is uh, where he says it was as though he had an obscure, but deep debt to fulfill to himself in accepting the deed Hmm. And I, that's a really uh, ambiguous sentence. Yeah, I, I always get a bit angry when when writers tell me like the the cliché way to put this would be there was something deep inside that, and you're like, what? If there's something there, tell and me like... what something is. But and, and and Wright is a better writer than that, mm. and so he says there's an obscure but deep debt to fulfill to himself in accepting the deed, and this is the one of the central things about what happens to him about these ideas of fear and hate as well, that Hmm. the part of the obscure debt is that he, this is a step for him to not feel afraid anymore. Hmm. Now we can agree. We can, we can argue about the ethics of that. And like you shouldn't have to be driven to kill someone to to feel free. I mean to I feel, don't, and, and that's part of the point. That's that's <laughs> that's part of the point that Wright is trying to make, right? Is Absolutely. he's not holding up Bigger Thomas as like a as a paragon of virtue at any point in this novel.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And partly what he's saying is this is to what degree is this how how is he uh, I'm trying to think of the right way to put this how is this guy supposed to understand himself in a society that never gives him the opportunity to understand himself whether he wants to or not is another thing and Wright isn't mm-hmm. saying feel sorry for Bigger Thomas at any point in this novel no but he is saying he is saying take Bigger Thomas seriously yeah take his humanity seriously and that's a different thing it's a tr- more troubling thing it's a more difficult thing I think it's also
1: saying, to a degree, understand how some of these crimes can occur because of societal positions, mm-hmm. obstacles, difficulties, and I think, in a way, it was it was an incredibly bold, courageous decision to take a character who is not the hero. Right. This, this yeah. is not a hero story. This is a story about how we treat the violent, the least educated, the most (laughs) deprived and pushed to the side, and yet, and, and, you know, clutch pearls when you know folks yeah. decide to do things that are outside the boundaries that the ex- incredibly restrictive boundaries that have been set and it's also especially the second portion of the book that you were talking about earlier it's also about well what kind of society do we want to be what kind of society mm-hmm. do can we even hope to be if we don't find ways to acknowledge humanity on a broader level and ideally I mean find a way to discourage prevent and and make it so that these crimes don't happen but guess what man i mean it's it's 2022 these they types happen. of crimes are happening all over the world all the time i yeah. mean if anything it's just an insight into how things were happening in South side of Chicago in 1940, but it's still so deeply human and so emblematic of so many broader issues that we all struggle with regardless of, uh, of country or city.
0: Yeah. Another one of those things, I hope I'm not shoehorning this too much, but it's been, it's been kicking around in my mind um, while we've been talking that, that Bigger's introduction to Mary Dalton is an interesting moment that I think reflects some of these things as well or shows one of those barriers that he when he first sees her it's in the cinema he's in the movie theater with his friends to go see a movie and there's a newsreel and she's in the newsreel because she's down in florida or something with her like Mm -hmm. it's like it's like a feature on the on the children of the jet set kind of thing and she's down frolicking and and it's in the newsreel and and he's looking at her and kind of ogling her on the screen and so, even not even as, as unreal as bigger <laughs> Tom, yeah, well, yeah, um, bigger as unreal as bigger Thomas's life is to the Daltons or whoever. Mm-hmm. She is all she's mediated as soon as she comes into his life, and there's this this the life that he that that he sees of white people, and what he understands of white people is is just as other. It's not as dangerous to them until. Um, he murders her, I suppose, but, um, it's mm. like, it's, it's a, it's not, it's, it's not oppressive to them in the way that he, that he, his life is being oppressed by these structures that we talked about at the beginning of the hour. But, but, th- but their lives are, are only come into contact in mediated ways until he gets hired. And then it's got this other dynamic involved. And it's, sure. I don't know, there's, I just think that his attunement to media and mediation is, is interesting and quite easy to map into 2022 if you want to as a, as a, I'm not, I'm not asking you to do this, but as like a kind of way of thinking about how this novel is relevant in, you know, 80 years later, one of them is thinking about that media angle.
1: Well, you're absolutely right in terms of how he first comes into contact with her by way of the celluloid wall, which I yeah. think it's I think it's probably worth saying that, you know, the way we've been told bigger, bigger views life through the knothole in the fence. I mean... <laughs> How mm-hmm. big is a camera lens? I mean, that's basically the same thing that that you're being given there. It's also, it also casts Jan as a villain to an extent, as far as I understand, which mm-hmm. which helps uh, bigger uh, later in the plot concoct a, a, a way to to push the police towards him, as as opposed to yeah. toward himself. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I I don't I don't necessarily want to go this path, but I would suggest. To listeners, if they're at all interested, there is a modern adaptation of this. I believe HBO Films did it maybe a year ago or two years ago, uh, and it mm-hmm. does it, it does play with the ideas you're speaking about to, to a degree, and, and I think it's it it's a it's not the adaptation <laughs> that I expected, uh, but that doesn't mean it's not worthy as a result.
0: Yeah, one of my students. A number of years ago, in in the seminar that I was teaching on this, he gave a presentation in which he talked about Bigger Thomas as the people's champ,
1: hmm.
0: which I thought was an interesting idea. I had ex- you just made a a, a <laughs> kind of slightly confused face, which I is did. I think what I, I made a confused when he started.
1: Face.
0: Yeah. yeah, which is what I did when he started, and then he convinced me by the end of his presentation because he was talking about what he meant was that that bigger. Bigger is kind of thrown out of the of the herd, so to speak he he's like he's just he's just a regular guy to some degree he's he's then put forward and has to be this emblem of things and if he's if he's going to fail he's failing for He's he's being made to fail, whether he wants to or not is another question, but he's being made to fail and whether it's right or not is another question, but he's being made to fail for everyone, not just for himself. And if he succeeds then he's succeeding for everyone and not just himself, but at the same time, all he wants to be is himself. He doesn't want to be. The champion of the people. He doesn't want to be the demon of the people. He doesn't want to stand for anyone other than himself. Um, and I've I've always thought that's or since then, I've thought that's an interesting idea and a useful way of thinking about bigger bigger is trapped. Again, this is this is social society constructs. Bigger's trapped by being a black man on the south side of Chicago in the late thirties, early forties, and everything he does he 's made to be a representative of a people, whether he wants to be or not, for good or for ill you know it 's like you you go and work for mr Dalton and you 're the upstanding young black man coming good out of the ghetto and blah 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 blah, and you mm-hmm. murder mr dalton 's daughter and you 're the awful degenerate kid from the ghetto who you know this is why they this is the back to the they thing this is mm-hmm. why they belong there, and blah 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 and Uh, In the middle of the novel, this is in book two, on page 241, Bigger says, Why should not this cold white world rise up as a beautiful dream in which he could walk and be at home, in which it would be easy to tell what to do and what not to do, if only someone had gone before and lived or suffered or died, made it so that it could be understood. It was too stark, not redeemed, not made real with the reality that was the warm blood of life. And this is bigger. In this moment, almost becoming—I mean, he's, it, it, the 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 imagery is all you know, Christ-like imagery, imagery of the sacrifice of Christ. Making Christ goes before, so you know, to redeem your sins, so you don't have to. And this is him thinking, I would not have found myself in this terrible position if someone else hmm. had had gone before, and I would learned a lesson. But of course, other people have have gone before and but no one's learned the lesson out of it and this is that kind of idea that that the trial at the end is trying to make him into someone that we that that can be freed so that the lessons can be learned whether it happens or not is, is a question for people to read the novel and decide about but i think yeah. that's a kind of interesting idea about uh, a, a way of, of trying to create a metaphor to understand this this Tension between being a person, an individual person, and and being forced to stand in for all kinds of things that other people want you to stand in for. Well, it comes down to an issue of narrative, doesn't it?
1: I think, to a degree, even your your student uh, had the people's champ narrative that he then sought to prove through the course of the presentation.
0: He you was a, have, he was a boxer,
1: so that's why he. Yeah. Uh, hey, then it then it it, it fit. <laughs> yeah, I think. One of the prevailing narratives through the book and you've already mentioned it ably, is the media, especially the way the media characterizes the nature of the crimes, the manhunt and the trial. So there are those f- three phases. but of course mm-hmm. we're primed for it, you know previously with with newsreels and and other bits of, of newspaper information. There's also the narrative, I suppose of of how bigger is is looked at by the Daltons how he looks at himself, how his family looks at him, which those are two very different things as well. We haven't really touched on it, but they're pretty fascinating. I mean, as a function of plot, I mean, bigger, it really is set up to fail to a degree because this novel needs to say something and, and make a point. Mm -hmm. I think all great novels do, um, or at least set out to, I don't know though. I mean, it's, it's, I know I mentioned this earlier, but it's such a bold thing to pick as ostensibly the protagonist of your novel uh, as someone who does horrible things because you're going to lose readers Mm -hmm. along the way. You're going to lose folks who will be turned off and and perhaps won't be open to asking the difficult questions. That's certainly something I've had to deal with in my own work. I I frequently Mm -hmm. write about characters who are not likable, don't necessarily get chances or opportunities, and sometimes make really dangerous decisions and have to live with the consequences of that. And I think ultimately, perhaps, what makes this book so strong and perhaps absolutely justifies how it ends is, is that it's an exploration of consequences. And... I sadly I I can't say that that things have changed enormously much you know in the intervening what 82 83 years since the book has been published
0: yeah and one of the other parts of that tragedy for for this novel is that bigger doesn't have the equipment to articulate to himself mm. the experience that he's going through and it's it both contributes to the problems but also makes the problems difficult to redeem sure and it and it drives the decision making process which
1: in some cases is is mm-hmm. really broken and just leads him to to you know wor- worse and worse mistakes and he doesn't realize that until until the end when he actually has to spend time in a room by himself
0: yeah and then they decide to kill him And it's bleak.
1: Yeah, but it's, I mean, I think it's bleak if you don't have a sense of how the justice system works in the United States, Mm -hmm. even to this day. I mean, what, death penalty is still up in 28 states? Please don't quote me on that. I've not Mm -hmm. checked lately, but this is still an American way of dealing with, with crime. It's still an American way of law and order, so to speak is it the right way (laughs) i know it's not the the best answer but i think it depends in bigger's case Mm. you know having been able to read a book i don't i don't think it makes the most sense however you know in some cases (laughs) i think it's up to the judge and the jury but i think the beauty of it being literature is it really is up to the reader
0: Yeah, and it really, it's a book that really challenges the reader to, to make decisions about what they're, not just what they're, not just the events that are taking place, but the, the variety of opinion and perspective that then gets mapped onto the events that take place. You, you don't just see Bigger doing his things, you see everyone else involved responding in kind and 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 where you sit amongst those responses is a is a very difficult path to navigate in this novel it 's really the, the tremendous achievement of this novel I would say um, we 've mm-hmm. only really scratched the surface of it in the in the yeah. hour or so that we 've been talking. I hope that re- uh, listeners who have not yet read the novel will be in- inspired to do so. Ryan Gaddis, I want to thank you so much for coming onto the Novel Romantics Literature of Chicago podcast brought to you by the America Centrum Hamburg. I-, I really appreciate you coming on and-, and spending so much time talking to me so-, so eloquently about it. Thank you very much. My pleasure, Doug. just so you know, once again, the views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the guests or the host, not the American Centrum, which does not take any institutional positions on politics or policy. Thanks again for listening.